Well, yeah, I mean, look, like this, look at the, look at the American government right now. Like, right now, there is, um, like, tremendous support for a minimum wage increase to $15 an hour by the Mm -hmm. American people. Mm -hmm. The people that support it have, like, continuously been, like, elected, Mm -hmm. and yet they are unwilling to take the risk of implementing it because someone called the Senate parliamentarian says that it's not, it's against the rules. It's like, what rules? What rules are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's, the only rules are made up to preserve something shitty. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and and so... The only thing that keeps us from from doing anything good for anybody is the like is the procedures and processes that are literally meant to stifle any sort of creative or ideal idealistic change. It's just the the residue of Calvinism, man. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's just that classic shit. There's been a there's been just like a basically a nonstop debate about about whether or not we should break the filibuster it's like the filibuster mm-hmm. is a literally like racist institution like it was built around jim the jim crow laws of the south in order to preserve and and alienate like the same people that this country has always alienated it's it's yep. insane to me if if you ever wanted a reason to like just like lose it and advocate for full on like you know, like people's revolution of this stupid country. It, it would be this. It would just be. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, a near insane level of of inertia. You know, stuck. It's and it's going to. I mean, it's it's going to be responsible for untold, uh, like suffering. And, and yep. eventual decay of like, you know, like what was clearly once a, a, a project to like save humanity, you know, like mm-hmm. America has become everything that it, that it stood against. Mm-hmm. It is the Anshan regime at this point. We, we stand in the way of like true development and change when there was a moment in time when it was the opposite of that. Yeah. Boom, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. See yourself become the villain. Boom. America. The Dark Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try and uncover the truth of the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. I am, of course, joined by my lovely co-host, Alex Virgil. Oh, hi. Thank you. And I, as always, am joined by my beautiful co-host, John Miklas. Thank you, Virgil. Beautiful. 
Of course. Um, how you doing, Verge? How are things? I'm doing well, man. Uh, things are uh, yeah, things are are all right. They're fine. Yeah, they're fine. I, I, it would be nice if we got vaccinated by May. Oh, I did I not tell you? I got a, I got my You're, first shot. I got my oh, you got your first one. My, yeah, nice. I got my first shot in my arm. Yeah, it's good. Congrats. It's good stuff. It was. Um, I think you'll get it by. I think you'll get it by May. I think. I think. That, I mean, I'm hopeful. Anybody that if wants you're it, getting it, I know, right? Frontline brewer. That uh, hell yeah, food and agriculture, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think that the vaccine. I saw a great, a great comment on on Twitter. Where else? Um, of someone saying like that it doesn't surprise them at all that America was like really good at or really bad at uh, like controlling the spread of the disease and really good at like getting the vaccine vaccine out because like the things that we're really bad at which is like I don't know um the strength of communities and (laughs) like uh like common goals and um right following you know like, the stuff that that's taught in the bible yeah exactly and the thing, <laughs> yeah. the thing we're really good at is like uh, acquiring commodities like <laughs> basically it's just like women be shopping you know women be shopping that's hilarious i thought it was the unilateral destruction of a of a faceless yeah. enemy <laughs> i thought that's what we were really good at <laughs> that too give us en- enough time to accumulate the resources Oh, you're so you're telling me this is like a biological weapon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Boom. Well, in that case, I'm in. We'll I'm take in, care yeah. of it. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's some baddies. All you had to tell me was there's some tell baddies me to about shoot the at. Baddies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about Olaf Palma a little bit. Yeah, I, I was in, too. Uh, in the old, I just want. Now that we have kind of uh, formulated the uh, idea of the. Human cam, can, can, human canon. Mm-hmm. I cannot. I want to like reiterate how squarely Olaf fits into the the archetype of HFS HOF. Mm-hmm. I actually within the I, human canon. I found uh, in terms of old news, I I stumbled on um, someone talking about. Actually, about Anthony Bourdain, who uh, mm. is personal a personal favorite of mine. Like a, I you know obviously, uh, so much did so much for my, mm-hmm. um, my industry and also just as a human being and whatever. But this person said, um, watching Bourdain made me feel that contempt and kindness could coexist in the same person. And create a very tender alchemy that made one generous to friends and unrelenting to enemies. The best kind of human to be in my book. Hmm. And I love that. I think mm-hmm. I agree completely. And I, I, it immediately made me think of Olaf Palm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me, it immediately made me think of like what it means to like want to care about people, protect people support people mm-hmm. and to and part of that involves like being unrelenting with people who don't see it that way mm-hmm. even if you can still accept and like love that person's humanity 
mm-hmm. which is, I think is a really hard part. And it's like yeah. often actually a part that like a lot of like even, you know, so-called like leftist or, or liberal people like just completely are incapable of doing. That was the big divide between um, progressive minorities and progressive white people in 2020, I think. Yeah, sure. It was exactly what you just described. The, the unrelentingness was what came out of minorities this past year mm-hmm. that I think white progressives were not ready for. Yeah. Um, it's very um, interesting, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, our, our boy is, uh, he's definitely in the HOF, the HFS HOF. Yeah. Um, he's part of the human canon. And it, it was cool because um, we recorded that, like, the day before the 35th anniversary of his um, mm-hmm. uh, of his assassination to see, like, a good amount of, like, kind of memorializing on online. Which is great because otherwise we're really bad at, like, matching what we record with like calendar dates yeah we've, seriously. we haven't done like a like thanksgiving was the only time we've ever touched on anything that was actually like happening yeah <laughs> uh well i also I talked about that. bombing wall street that one week too there was also oh yeah that, you did which that turned into i mean think about that that was like two months ago or like a month and a half ago who the fuck cares at this point like yeah, jesus nothing. fucking christ we are, we are just, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like we're in a video game where it's like, mm-hmm. we're staring at like the abyss and it's like, it just keeps glitching and you go back to the start and it's like, mm-hmm. no, this is all fake. I mean, it's none of it's real and none of it's matters. This is the shit. There was an article I read last year about, um. Man, there's so much about this article that I forget that I can't even begin to, like, introduce it correctly. Um, but it was basically from someone who was like, I, I am a refugee of a failed state, like, mm. a, a state that fell into decay. Mm. But, uh, and what they're talking about, is, this writer is just like, it's crazy because it's not like one day your place, your whole place gets bombed and then suddenly you're living in rubble. Mm. It's like... Every day you see a little bit more atrocity, atrocity. And then one day you're just on Facebook doing your work, going to school, doing your normal shit like you would in any first world country. But you realize that every piece of news you've seen from your country is are these like horrible atrocities that mm-hmm. you are living within. Mm-hmm. But it sneaks up on you in a way that like it's hard to red flag something like your country falling apart because it's happening to us now where it's like something as seemingly monumental as an entire paradigm shift in how wall street could work right just died out memory hold memory hold yeah Yeah. no that's it that's really interesting Uh, so yeah shit's wild wild stuff um verge i hear you might be yeah yeah there should be less pomp in the uh, introduction, because it's not a good one, or it's technically a failed one. So give me another. All right. Um. Bum, 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 bum. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That was pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just shooting a spacewalk scene in the 1960s. <laughs> um. So today you got to do the thing. Ethnic oh, enclave. Oh, sorry, sorry. Of the week. Eth- ethnic enclave. Of the week, mm-hmm. bon. 
and then if there was like a a, a graphics, there would be like a scratch out. Yeah. And then yeah, instead yeah. of ethnic enclave, they would say indigenous peoples of the week. Okay. All right. Because this is like kind of technically the opposite of yeah an ethnic enclave. Sure. Um. Let's hear. It. So, um. So today we are learning about the Tuvans or the Tuvinians okay. of Siberia. Oh. Tuvans, yes, or Tuva. Okay. Uh, the Tuva Republic, officially, mm-hmm. um, is a federal subject of Russia, and it, it lies at the geographical center of Asia in southern Siberia. So it's like right on the border of Mongolia, Russia, and then like Kazakhstan border is like very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of got the, it's pretty much the exact area of like Pan Asia that Americans, including myself, know least about. Yeah, just com- well, because nobody, basically nobody lives it's there, right? Just, yeah, mean, it's, it's also like very it's plains. Yeah, it's it's plains and um, tundra. Yeah, or taiga as it's called. Taiga style. Ta- taiga style. Yeah, taiga is uh, the word for like the tundra up in Russia. So now you know that. Yep. Um, there's a lot of history that is basic, basically very like. You know, it there at one time it was mostly Mongol. At one time it was mostly a Khanate. Uh, at one time it was Chinese. At one time it was Russian. Blah blah blah. One interesting piece is that these Tuvans are uh, the ge- ge- closest genetic um, relatives to uh, American First Nations peoples. Whoa. So they're like the cool. they're like the 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 link. Yeah. They yeah. cross the 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 bridge. Yeah. The land bridge. And um there's a lot of uh cool stuff. You know, a lot of their uh, culture feels very similar to your average Mongolian nomadic horse wranglers. Yeah. Um a lot of them are uh still like they still do like sh- shamanistic mm-hmm. uh, rel- traditions as as opposed to Buddhism, even though they are technically as a people like Buddhist. Um, and the reason I looked up the Tuvans is because one of my favorite musical groups hmm. of 2020 was Hunhurtu, which is a Tuvan uh, traditional band, and they do like a bunch of like throat singing and shit nice and they're fucking awesome hell yeah um but they're like russian they have russian names but they look like me you know yeah and, uh <laughs> and it's great because they have a kxp like youtube uh live session and they'll play like a song it's like a tiny desk they'll play a song and then they'll talk in between about the upcoming song but every single time this guy's describing a song and he like is verbose He'll talk for like 15 minutes about a five minute song. And every single time it's just, he's like, this song is about uh, our horses. Uh, We have horses and it's about a boy who is riding a horse, you know, but like 15 minutes of that. And then it's just another song. And then in the next one, he goes, this one is called, I have a herd of 60 horses, (laughs) but they're just like absolutely delightful. And then, but the reason, the main reason this is a failed ethnic enclave 
is because I was looking at the diaspora information. Yeah. Regions with significant population, 260, almost 264,000. Oh, and not only that, their fertility is really high, but their median age is low, which means that they're likely to, uh, the population is likely to continue to increase. In the oh, interesting. Which is cool. Um, there's 25,000 in Russia, 5,000 in Mongolia, 4,000 in China only. And then there's 43 in Ukraine. <laughs> so uh, I tried to... Yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like... I feel like... So this is like an underrated fact about Russia. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, like, lots of places around the world. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that this Tuva, right? Like, the Tuvan mm-hmm. Republic is in, in and of itself like an ethnic enclave within the country yeah. of Russia, right? Like, right. And, and that, you know, I think we, we think in very, or we Americans think in very American mm-hmm. standards where it's like, oh, the 50 states, they're all equal. They all work together. Where it's like, mm-hmm. there are, I think there are huge portions of Russia that are like almost not even really like intertwined in the, the, the country's yeah. network, you know, like. The two like they call themselves a republic yeah and yeah <laughs> you know there's similar stuff like in the caucasus like chechnya mm-hmm. and like all this stuff and the the russians live mm-hmm. in moscow or like you know kiev and rus like yeah. old and they don't they don't it just it's like all right well fair enough yeah so it is an ethnic enclave it is an ethnic enclave um and then uh i was looking up the ukraine um, 43 and then i started to kind of dig in not with enough time but i started to kind of dig in to the korean diaspora in post-soviet states oh interesting because there are multiple pages that ref- that um surround this one i mean they're diasporated but this one like m- move diaspora of koreans into um ex-soviet states so interesting yeah but we'll have to save that we'll have but to, in the yeah. meantime tuvans tuva throat singing which is like one of those unesco uh intangible heritages um check out hunhurtu on youtube like fucking uh next level and they collab with the uh, bulgarian voices I mean, this is some amazing world music Hell yeah. shit. Hell yeah. So we'll put it in so the, there you go. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. There is your ethnic enclave of oh, the, week. the week. I love it. That was great. I, I had found my, it's funny, this week I had found myself in that region of the world on Wikipedia too. Mm. I, had been, I had been looking at, there's like a specific ethnic group in northern Mongolia. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Uruk. I found I found that um, obviously Wikipedia is a great resource for this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but an equally interesting resource, especially when you want to know like like what certain ethnic groups think of each other, like what certain communities think about themselves and each other. Uh, there's a website called Quora. Have you ever been on ah, Quora? Yes. Q-U-O-R-A. Quora and it, it's cool because it's like 
people ask questions and then people answer the questions. And mm -hmm. so like you could go on Quora and be like, what do Russians think of Tuvan people? And someone from Russia would answer it. And right. like, and obviously like it's not, it's very different than Wikipedia, which is like right. an attempt to uncover the truth. This mm -hmm. is like the distillation of opinions, but that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. is very valuable. You know, it's, it's like, it's like very specifically anecdotal. Yeah. It, and in the best kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I recommend that. Oh, that's a great, oh, I, we should be taking advantage of that more. Yeah. We need a core. Yeah. Cause that's such a good way to get questions answered so quickly yeah to kind of get an idea of stuff and then you can kind of like you can you can double check it on different it's the perfect place for like uh useless information yeah absolutely perfect it's particularly good about like geography stuff too like when mm -hmm. you if you want to know like what norwegians think of the rest of scandinavia like that's like the perfect kind of question that mm -hmm. you, there's hundreds of answers about it um Verge, I think I'm first today, right? I think you are first. Yeah. Um, so I've decided to entitle my segment today hmm. um, Rube's Playing Games. Ha! <laughs> Can't wait. Um, because, so, all right. Uh, and I think I brought this up earlier. But I've been thinking a lot lately about the concept of like leisure mm. and about um, games and um, like play and sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. One of the interesting things about the book that I'm reading right now, um, Ursula Le Guin's The Dispossessed, mm -hmm. uh, is that on the planet in this sci-fi novel where the people live in like kind of like in anarcho-socialist society mm -hmm. the words in their language work and play are the same word and mm. part of that is a discussion like obviously they're very pragmatic people and they do right. work hard but they're also like totally free mm -hmm. and so and so they can do whatever they want they do right. choose to work maintain to yeah. maintain because it is for the common good but they but they are like liberated in the sense that they can do whatever they want and mm -hmm. and that like that is very much in line with like i think what our modern conception of leisure is mm -hmm. right it's kind of this like this like acceptance that we can we get to do whatever we want and and even even in like right. the short term like generationally like wasn't that was like the whole like thing about millennials right was mm -hmm. this like was this like free choosing you know mm -hmm. element and, yeah and and i do i kind of do tend to think that like a world and a humanity pushing forwards towards like kind of like a true democratic ideal um, and one kind of buoyed by clearly the the constantly accelerating technological advancements is a society or could be a society 
in which work and play are Mm -hmm. the same word you know yeah like that is like the ideal like that's what we could be but the problem and um i saw a great uh there's like a great clip from the simpsons Mm -hmm. uh where lenny and carl are um are in the like the the uh cafeteria and they're Mm -hmm. looking at the cupcakes in its little mm-hmm. like a, in the like the little um glass you know ha- like yeah. cylinder Ooh, cupcakes. and yeah. they're like huh i wonder how they get those cupcakes to keep spinning on that on that thing right there and then the next clip is <laughs> it goes down and it's homer <laughs> pushing it and some dude whipping homer <laughs> and and so there is like there is that element right like right. i saw a great meme where where someone put like the nordic model of the cupcakes and then mm-hmm. uh up below it was like global capitalism you know it's like <laughs> uh it is nice for the people yeah. that get to benefit from it but it's not right. it's not everybody um i think that's the thing with automation right is is generally the people that benefit from automation are not the same people that should be right yeah certainly the people whose jobs are being replaced by automation are the, not the ones that get to benefit from automation. yeah they don't they don't get to chill because yeah <laughs> They don't have to drive a truck, <laughs> which actually is bullshit. I feel like if you, if 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 automation takes your job, mm-hmm. you automatically should have a free salary for life, like free yeah. income for life. You can choose to not accept it and go to a different career, but if you mm-hmm. want it, if a if a machine, if a robot stole your job, you should get like a like a pension because of it for life. You get yeah. All right, so. To get back on topic, um, okay. I've I've been thinking about leisure. I've been thinking about okay. that kind of stuff, and so it led me down mm-hmm. some pathways that have been quite fun. And fun. so I I I I did stop on the Wikipedia article for game, which I thought was oh. fun. Um, nice broad, and and one of the things, yeah, very broad. Broad Wikipedia articles are sometimes the most fun. Um, Mm. but I loved this, um, there are a number of different people that try to define what a game is. Mm. And I found this from a game designer, uh, this guy, Chris Crawford, who made, uh, computer games in the eighties. Uh, he, he defined the term for game using a series of dichotomies. So you're ready Mm. for him? Um, Creative expression is art if it is made for its own beauty, mm-hmm. and it's entertainment if it is made for money. Okay. Um, a piece of entertainment is a plaything if it is interactive. Movies and books are cited as examples of non-interactive entertainment. Mm-hmm. If no goals are associated with a plaything, it is a toy. Uh mm. Crawford notes that by his definition, A, a toy can become a game element if the player makes up rules, and B, the Sims and SimCity are toys, not games. Mm -hmm. If it has goals, a plaything is a challenge. If a challenge has no active agent against whom you compete, it is a puzzle. If there (laughs) is one, it is a conflict. Crawford admits that this is a subjective test, 
Uh, video games with noticeably algorithmic artificial intelligence can be played as puzzles. These include the patterns used to evade ghosts in Pac-Man. Um, hmm. Finally, if a player can only outperform the opponent but not attack them to interfere with their performance, the conflict is a competition. Competitions hmm. include racing and figure skating. However, if attacks are allowed, then the conflict qualifies as a game. So it's a competitive... It's competitive, but specifically interacting with... With each other. It, with, like, yeah. yeah. It involves, like, the... The, the, the yeah. competitor. Another competitor. But I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I get... And maybe it's it's because when I read these things for the first time, I'm usually high. But I like <laughs> I love like that kind of like the simplicity of it all, and like mm-hmm. to think about how all of those things are interrelated, um, mm-hmm. and then ultimately they get down to the bottom, and like I, this is what a game is. Um, so, so with that in mind, I actually um, found myself like thinking and reading a lot about sports mm-hmm. and i will say that first of all a lot of the wikipedia articles about sports mm-hmm. are not very good right. um wikipedia is very good at like like if you want to know like the 1988 super bowl there's mm-hmm. a wikipedia article that is like incredibly like verbose about it but right. if you want to learn about like the history of professional sports and like mm-hmm. when it started and like the process of like how it came to be, less good about it. Less mm-hmm. good. Which is a problem because that's the thing that I'm more interested in. Right, of course. Yeah. Um Yeah, wiki sports pages feel like um like our I- IKEA instruction manuals for Yes, yeah. sports, yeah. Um but so I was I so the, the rest of what I'm going to talk about um, kind of centers around early baseball, which oh. I found yeah. um, is something that I've always, I don't know why, but like weirdly avoided learning about. And okay. I think part of it is because sport, like I like sports. I think mm-hmm. we both do to, to an extent. Yeah. Um, and uh I've always liked, like, the modern edge of sports. Hmm. And so baseball in particular is something where it's like, well, you kind of have to memory hole a cer- certain, like, eras because they're mm-hmm. just not the same as hmm. the c- current era. And so it's, like, hard to compartmentalize them. But when I started looking at, like, the pre-20th century baseball I found mm-hmm. that it's actually fascinating and and really weird in the best mm-hmm. kind of way. Um, yeah, I believe it. So the first character that I want to talk about is a guy named Connie Mack, um, or his classic given, baseball name. Yeah. Well, so okay. First of all, all of these guys. Every single yeah. baseball player or anyone associated with baseball uh, before <laughs> the year 1900 has the most ridiculous name. Amazing of all time. names. So this guy's actual name, his, his the name he's born with is Cornelius McGillicuddy. <laughs> uh, 
uh, but he was better known as Connie Mack. (laughs) (sighs) There's not even, like, I can't even make a joke about it being a lateral move because they just, they're, they're too... They're the same object in two different dimensions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cornelius McGillicuddy and Connie Mack. All right, so Perfect. Cornelius McGillicuddy, I, I, okay, I first noticed him because I had, like, clicked on, like, four different baseball players and read their stories, and his name kept coming up. And then I started looking at the dates, and I was like, oh, this guy played, like, from 1904 to 1912. This guy's playing in 1944, Connie Mack is his manager. What's going on? So, Connie Mack uh, is the the longest-serving manager in Major League Baseball history. He holds the record for wins, 3,731, losses, 3,948, and games managed, 7,755. Uh, he was the manager for the Philadelphia Athletics, now the Oakland uh, Athletics, for the yeah. club's first 50 seasons. Damn! Connie Mack, starting in 1901 and retiring in uh, 1950, was part owner and manager of the Philadelphia Athletics for the entire first half of the 20th century. Holy shit! uh it's awesome that's so i just find that so strange and like exciting and weird that this guy (laughs) is just like he's just yeah i mean he's he does not have a career 500 record he yeah that's that's 220 games more than he he won but he has the most wins but he has the most (laughs) wins in major league baseball history yo that's like like pushing 30 i'm like damn i wish i started anything early enough to have done it long enough just to have done it the most um and as a as like a character he is not um like the most interesting it sounds like he was like a very fair level-headed man he sounds reliable. Reliable, <laughs> yeah. Um, Pretty middle 50% in he, all realms. He did, so um, he created a code of conduct in 1916. So this is also, nice. mind you, 15 years after he... Um, uh, after, yeah, he's a veteran yeah. manager at this point. In 1916, he created a code of conduct um, because he wanted his players to become better people as well as better baseball players. Amazing. And this is these are the things that he wanted. He said, uh, they, players had to assign these. Um, I will always play the game to the best of my ability. I will always play to win. But if I lose, I will not look for an excuse to detract from my opponent's victory. I will never take unfair advantage in order to win. I will always abide by the rules of the game on the diamond as well as in my daily life. I will always conduct myself as a true sportsman on and off the playing field. I will always strive for the good of the entire team rather than for my own glory. I will never gloat in victory or pity myself in defeat. I will do my utmost to keep myself clean physically, mentally, and morally. I will always judge a teammate or an opponent as an individual and never on the basis of race or religion. Um, 
Boom. That's the, the he just nailed down why sports deserve to exist. Yeah. Well, okay. So, all right. So, I do. I want to take a little bit of time tracking back to uh, some of like the through lines of things that we've been talking about. The, the conception of leisure, mm-hmm. the um, assertion that you can, like, the only thing keeping us from a different way to see the world is our own lack of imagination, and what the future with an ever-increasing level of technology where comfort is everywhere and reality is actually becoming more and more artificial so mm-hmm. so thinking about all of this stuff like mm-hmm. how crazy it is, is it sports mm-hmm. especially the sports that like are you know like baseball football basketball soccer yeah these sports the are 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 less than 200 years old in mm-hmm. their modern Current form yeah yeah form and how much they've permeated into our culture and into our daily life and stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I was thinking more and more of like, like there is a, a future where something like sports are like the basis for all of existence. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like Connie Mack's rules yeah. would make you a good person. Like those, that right. code of conduct, like makes you, like puts you in line with all of the things that, like, that are at the core of like mm-hmm. what it means to be a good Christian or like what it means to follow a mm-hmm. religion. There, there are all of these things. Everything is mm-hmm. just trying to create some sort of framework to mm-hmm. explain the world and make it make sense and make it work you know yeah and we are in a world where sports even though they are games Mm -hmm. are getting increasingly more real and more Mm -hmm. pertinent to real life Mm -hmm. and real life is getting increasingly more frivolous more fake more artificial but that's interesting because there's something um i played basketball one year in high school JV, it was because I went to a school that was much smaller, so I could get on the team. Mm. Um, and my basketball coach was telling us something that it really stuck with me, where he was like, if you want to watch good basketball, Filipino guy, mm-hmm. if you want to watch good basketball, he's like a very, like, you know, classic. Yeah, um, Filipino, Filipino, Hawaii, ba- Filipino basketball. Hawaiian basketball, you know, yeah. like, playing white pahu ball. Yeah. Um, he was like, if you want to watch real basketball, you have to watch college basketball. Mm-hmm. It's real basketball because the NBA is not going to teach you a single thing about basketball. It's mm-hmm. entertainment. It's 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 entertainment, and the players know it. Right. The players aren't competing to play a good game of basketball every time. Well, okay. So this is actually these are this is a great because I did mm-hmm. have the Wikipedia article for amateurs open, mm-hmm. and I didn't have right. anything exactly that I wanted to talk about it, mm-hmm. but. There is a certain feeling deep inside of myself that pure amateurism uh-huh. is like the most like 
beautiful and mm-hmm. and artful thing one can be. Mm-hmm. No matter what the subject, like pure mm-hmm. amateurism is like the the most like ultimate expression of what it means to be alive. Right. Um, and I don't know why. I I, I, I don't know what that but I can tell you why. Tell me. It's because it's because there's the hunger for Yeah, for money and profession. Yeah. Per, no, no, well there's like yeah. the you know, everyone wants to be a professional, so to mm-hmm. speak. But you're doing it without getting that yet, right? Which means your your drive might not necessarily be pure. But if you're at the top of your game, this is why the Olympics get so much play, right? And these athletes who you never hear about for four years get so much play is because they're at the cusp of professionalism, which is like the top of their athletic game, without the complacency of a paycheck, right? You know, but or this not is complacency also, necessarily. But. This is also why I say sports are continuously getting more real and i don't Mm -hmm. mean it as a good thing i actually Mm -hmm. mean it as quite a bad thing and Mm -hmm. a great example is like like the ncaa Mm -hmm. let's say college basketball i mean college football is way more egregious but like either of them are Mm -hmm. not amateurism it's Mm -hmm. it is a it is a um like a slave economy it is it is it is a manipulation of labor mm-hmm. in order to to like get insane amount of money for yeah. an owning class that yeah. exploits the labor of people who are in a position where they have to to follow these rules if they want yeah. to be a part of the system and it starts at like age 5 yeah exactly four. so so yeah it's not it's definitely not me painting a rosy picture when I say that sports are getting more real and real life yeah. is getting less real because I mean, even, you know, you talk about like the issues of social justice in sports, the issues mm-hmm. of treatment of women in sports, mm-hmm. you know, like ESPN has had a rough decade mm-hmm. trying to go from like this, like fun, almost like countercultural or like niche position Mm -hmm. when it started in like the early late eighties, early nineties. Right. The MTV of sports. Yeah. Into a, a cultural anchor Mm -hmm. for the American empire that is in so in such a position of power that it, it is incapable of like actually interpreting the world as it is in a fair light, you know? Uh, so. Bro, have you heard this um, quote from The Dark Knight? It goes, um, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's deep. That's deep, dude. This is America. <laughs> Yo, but no, but you're right, though. That's the thing. Is you're yeah. Right. And the NCAA is such a good example of amateurism uh, 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 abused and yeah, the exploitation you know, of amateurism. Yeah. But but a a like a and we're you know this is this this is idealist. This is like some naive shit that I'm like right. spitting out. But like a a more perfect world. I mm-hmm. hesitate to say truly perfect world, but like. A more utopian world is one mm-hmm. 
in which in which amateurs are experts and experts are amateurs you know where like mm. the 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 if you t- if you were to take out the money making um like component of our right. culture mm-hmm. and it was like people it was work and play are the same damn word you know it's mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. are are actively working towards like perfecting this thing the thing that they love to do you mm-hmm. know like that is like a truly like it's really at the the heart and soul of like what yeah it could be you know that's why i think it matters so much like to people like us for like daniel johnston's mm-hmm. to exist mm-hmm. because talk about an example of pure amateurism being recognized so i i want to move on to the very last um topic of discussion in this uh in this kind of wiki hole that i went on and um it is kind of like the most fun light-hearted part of it all Uh, maybe not the like the least through line with what we were talking about that's so funny for Um, a second i was i i thought you were gonna go you were, for some reason, I thought you were going to start talking about the U.S. Women's National Team. Oh, funny. because I'm very curious about like where where they stand in the discussion. You know what I mean? Um, well, they really have like kind of <laughs> transcended something, right? Like they're right. It's hard to it's hard to like label right now. Yeah, but they seem to have brought back the purity of sports. You know, in a way that they probably couldn't have if they were a men's team, right? Well, Which they is interesting. Certainly couldn't because it, yeah. Well, and and it's it's the problem is that all of that is is like l- laced with the the tragedy right. of the fact that they, they get deserve, paid twenty five k. Yeah, they don't get paid. You know, like mm-hmm. they're doing it for the love of the game, even though like they're the best, like <laughs> one of the best teams to ever. Yeah, because exist. they keep getting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there, it, 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 this is the moment where it's like that's not a feel good story. That's a story of people yeah. fucking trapped. Yeah, it's like it's like when when the local news is like, look at this yeah. seven year old is like uh, selling lemonade to pay for her yeah. her, her cancer treatment. Her, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Only five hundred more years story. of doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the topic I want to cover is one Rube Waddell great uh so i so many possibilities (laughs) rube waddell uh was an american southpaw pitcher uh hell yeah lefties yeah lefty pitcher in major league baseball he had a career spanning 13 years and played for the louisville uh colonel colonels the pittsburgh pirates the chicago orphans the The philadelphia colonels yeah English major. Yeah, right. Uh, the the Philadelphia Athletics and the St. Louis Browns. So this has got the opposite of a Connie Mack, where he, he just can't stay in one place. He can't. And he, Waddell is best remen- remembered for his highly eccentric behavior. Love it. For being a remarkably dominant strikeout pitcher in an Love era it. where batters mostly slapped at the ball to get singles. 
He had an excellent fastball, a sharp breaking curveball, a screwball, and superb control. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was almost 3-1, to one, and he led the major league in strikeouts for six consecutive years. So, nice. Um, like, that's, a, that's like the most baseball character. Like, I love baseball eccentrics. He is... Those are the best. He is like the OG baseball eccentric. I mean, he's Fuck the it. OG crazy pitcher. And, and I think in reality, it would kind of come out that um, Rube had a and completely undiagnosed uh, mm. mental condition. Um, right. They don't know if it was ADHD or if he was autistic or or like just more like just right. He was on just operating head. on a different level. So uh, I'm gonna read some. Um, so, uh, Waddell was noticeably or notably unpredictable uh, early in his career. He would often leave in the middle of the game to go fishing. Uh, he also had a long-standing fascination with fire trucks and had run off the field to chase after them during games on multiple occasions. He would dis, yeah, he would disappear for months at a time during the off season, and it was no- not known where he went until it was discovered that he was wrestling alligators in a circus. What? He was easily distracted by opposing fans who held up puppies which caused him to run over and play with them, and shiny objects which seemed to put him in a trance. An alcoholic for much of his short life, Waddell reportedly spent his entire first signing bonus on a drinking binge, with Sporting News calling him a sousepaw. His eccentric <laughs> behavior That's led great. to... Yeah, exactly. Led to constant battles with his manager and scuffles with bad-tempered t- teammates. So wow. he just... I mean, this—the fact that there's never been a like anything, like made about him—is fascinating. He was the, pretty much the exact same era that Cy Young was a pitcher. Okay. In, in, yeah, yeah. in fact, actually, he was the opposing pitcher when Cy Young pitched the first ever perfect game in baseball. Oh, uh, that's why he's a footnote. Yeah. No. Well, he—he he really is. I mean, the the eccentric stuff is like really overshadowed how good of a baseball player he was. Right. But I, the, the thing about, and the reason that this like early era of baseball, you can't actually compare, is mm-hmm. that like this guy, is a is this just a lunatic and mm-hmm. and he he couldn't like. The equivalent of being a baseball player, a professional baseball player at the time, was being mm-hmm. in a circus wrestling alligators, being a yeah. traveling showman. Like it was. This not, is why was, I love baseball, man. <laughs> it, it, it actually is at the core of why I love sports, like in general. Yeah. You know, like like I I think of one of the reasons that I personally love the NBA so much, mm-hmm. and I the re, the way I describe it is that the NBA is is obviously sports but it's also professional wrestling like it's a soap opera it's a narrative every game it's these characters i mean Mm -hmm. if you asked people to describe the personality of lebron james or russell Mm -hmm. westbrook or kevin durant like they can and and Mm -hmm. maybe not actually but they can the same way that they can describe the the personality of lisa vanderpump you know what I mean? Like right. they're right. playing, they're playing, and and they're they're performing. 
sports is a performance the same way that mm-hmm. acting is the same way that that any of this stuff is and the complicated part is that in our present day mm-hmm. especially with social media especially with all of these forces mm-hmm. the performance is everything like mm-hmm. it is it is our entire existence is performing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it's it's just I can't help but think that these elements, these Rue Boidels of mm-hmm. nineteen, you know, the early twentieth century, it's this is these are not blips. Like this is a building. This is we're, mm-hmm. if if anything is building and progressing and growing, it's these forces. These mm-hmm. are the things that are going to explain the future more than anything else. More than World War Two. More than uh you know like the french revolution no it's fucking sports it's the real housewives all of this stuff is like the precursor to something and tiktok tiktok major league baseball real housewives like all of this shit is the same and this is where we're going interesting that is fucking bleak dude (laughs) that makes me so sad I mean, honestly, though, at the same time, it's better than than the Battle of the Bulge. It's clearly better. Yeah, yeah, than yeah. Twentieth century this is, geopolitics and like the... this is like a how 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 tasty is the steak moment? Mm-hmm. How good is the steak really mm-hmm. moment? Um, do you want to hear what ended up happening with Rue Baudel? Yes, please. So, uh, he. He he did he kind of like kept on with like this he he got shuffled around to different teams the Philadelphia Athletics were where he spent most of his career mm-hmm. and in no with small Connie. part to Connie Mack who yeah. uh, although although Waddell was definitely not his ideal player right he was able to kind of um, sculpt him and make and. Uh, someone described Waddell on the Philadelphia Athletics as the atom bomb of baseball long before <laughs> the atom bomb was discovered. <laughs> That's great. Um, and then, That's and then later, uh, yeah, later career Waddell's drinking problem got pretty out of hand, um, mm. and he had a terrible marriage. He posted this mm. amazing newspaper, um, uh, like classified ad and it said unkissed girl sought by rube waddell <laughs> girls here is the chance to marry man rube waddell occupation pitcher for browns income four thousand a year previous condition of servitude a relict of a grass widow habits periodical water drinker fond of fires skirts and domestic excitement <laughs> <laughs> disposition easygoing Says he will be good to the girl who will be good to him. Amusements, fond of harmless, innocent games and exhilarating. Motive, must marry and settle down to win bonus hedges promises him if he wins 30 games. <laughs> Physique, uh, splendid girls, splendid. Has a bear, a bear hug which will make any woman happy. When not under the influence of sinister forces is docile and affectionate. Allowance will turn over to his wife 1,000 yearly for clothes. Qualifications, peroxide blonde preferred. Women with children need not apply. 
bars to matrimony, only the unkissed and the unhugged need apply. Rube positively objects to girls who have spooned with other fellows. Age anywhere from 14 to 40. Parents consent required. Girl must pay for license to prove her sincerity. Uh, That's so funny. one of the greatest... I mean, it, not the greatest, but just I mean, incredible. no, but this it's it's kind of the perfect at it's kind of the perfect classifieds. If if he if he's looking for exactly the kind of person that is going to respond positively to exactly what he wrote, then that is the perfect classified because it's honest as fuck. Yeah, it's just like putting it all out there and being like, if you want it, now is the chance. Imagine someone right now being like classifieds, man looking for a woman quarterback of the tennessee titans (laughs) (laughs) i kind of love his writing style too yeah it's like it's so chill yeah fuck there's i mean even uh even like the kind of like the some of the subtle misogyny stuff like Mm -hmm. there is an element of like tenderness to it that's the thing is the 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 playfulness of the wording rube should positively objects to girls who have spooned with other fellows like i love that I'm also pissed. weirdly uh it says rube positively objects to girls who parentheses have and parentheses spooned with other fellows i don't Hilarious. know what that means but i love is that. that like the times yeah maybe la- lingo for doing it oh maybe uh, have i've i have spooned funny uh so then in um 1911, Rube was pitching for a minor league team in Minneapolis. Um, And then he was in spring training in Hickman, Kentucky. And there was a series of devastating floods. This is in 1912. A series of devastating floods where I read some news articles that say that Rube, like, ended up, like, saving half the town. Like, he went out in a rowboat yeah. himself and, like, saved all these people and, like, like stood at the front while, like, the waters were coming in and, like, put sandbags down. Mm-hmm. And then he developed um, pneumonia from the floods and ended up dying wow. at the age of 37 in 1914. Wow. Uh, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis uh, and moved to live with his sister. South never recovered and he was placed in a sanitarium in, uh, near, nearby Elmendorf. Died at the age of 37. He's the guy in heaven who, like, someone else is like, how the fuck did this guy get in? Right. And, like, one of the angels is like, yo, like, right, like, the reason he died and right before he died, he fucking pulled off. Crazy save. Yeah, yeah. He's Mindy St. Really Clair. Yeah, exactly. He really is Mindy St. Clair, yeah. dude. This is right before he died. Uh, his his wikipedia article too there's a picture of him mm-hmm. he's like got like the perf- does he look like a rube waddell yeah he's got the perfect dumb jock like like jaw oh. structure yeah i love it so much i mean this guy he seems like he probably was the kind of person that in real life like everybody was just like i cannot deal with this guy he's a bad mm-hmm. dude but in reality, you can't help but love him. Like, he seems like yeah. a truly good soul, you know? Right. He's... So, I would not put him into the HFS Hall of Fame 
at no, all. No, no, no. But if we were at a party and Olaf Palm walked up looking at his phone and was like, yo, Rue Waddell just hit me up. He's looking to do something tonight. Like, what's the vibe? I'd look around at who's there and probably be like, you know what? Yeah, man. Let's get crazy tonight. He's got he's got incredible Timothy Dexter vibes, actually. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they have the same the same kind of like um, that like kind of like march to their own tune. The cracks are where the light shines through. Kind of yeah yeah know? yeah. Wabi sabi human wabi sabi. <sighs> um, I love that Rubadell. That's one to remember. That's one to brainstorm a fucking script about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got he's he's a really I think that that whole era um of baseball would be a really fun, especially yeah. like kind of screwball, um not taken seriously, like mm-hmm. not Field of Dreams, like fuck like, no, like serious like, baseball um, movies. Like um doesn't necessarily have to be as surreal as Wet Hot American Summer, hmm. but somewhere in between, like a a slightly older, calmer Seth Rogen crew, right? Like a Paul Rudd, yeah, a bunch of Paul Rudds. He yeah. did that movie where he played a World War Two baseball catcher. He did. The catcher was a spy. It's a it's the movie about oh, the catcher um, was a spy. Yeah, I haven't seen. He was that. like he was like. This, I almost did this for one of the episodes um, where he plays uh, a pretty average catcher in the major leagues who's like pretty not well known, but he was well known within the, the, the league as like the nerd, as like the Einstein of baseball. Funny. So he could speak a bunch of languages. He went to like Harvard or something. He's a super smart. He just wanted to be a baseball player. And so, of course, he gets hired by the OSS. Um, Interesting. I love that. All right, Verge, what do you got for me? All right. Well, uh, sorry to um, our friend Rube Waddell for telling him he's not going to be in the HFS Hall of Fame and then immediately introduce a name that I am uh, nominating. So this is going to, this is, we're starting from one page, jumping over to another, and then coming back to it. Okay. This is the story of Emilio Robles Avila. Yes. A Emilio Robles Avila was a colonel during the Mexican Revolution. A colonel during the Mexican Revolution. Um which was uh between nineteen ten and nineteen twenty, so about a hundred yep. years ago. Assigned female at birth with the name Amelia Robles Avila. Robles fought in the Mexican Revolution, rose to the rank of colonel, and lived openly as a man from age 24 until his death at age 95. Whoa. Boom. So now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first two sentences. We're going to jump to Soldaderas, the page Soldaderas, to give us a little bit of the background. Okay. Um. So, so soldaderas, which is the American pronunciation of soldaderas, uh, often called adelitas, were women in the military who participated in the conflict of the Mexican Revolution, ranging from commanding officers to combatants to camp followers who tended to be people that they, they you know, do some nursing, some mm-hmm. cooking, cleaning, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
In many respects, the Mexican Revolution was not only a men's, but a women's revolution. Hmm. Although some revolutionary women achieved officer status, coronelas, there are no reports of a woman achieving the rank of general. And I want to make sh- I want to make it clear before we talk about some notable people that not all of these people joined. These women joined um, voluntarily. There was a lot of forcible uh, conscription, as well as like husbands going off to fight, being like, "Who else is gonna make my tortillas?" Which isn't me being uh, racist. It's it, literally the quote. I can't find it in the page but there's a quote that's just like yeah some women literally went to war because their husbands were quoted as saying like who's gonna make my tortillas um so um because the mexican revolution i I don't know a ton about it mm -hmm. but was like uh like pretty hardcore right like like yeah wanted like a pretty like like it was in the same vain in certain respects as like the russian revolution or the french revolution oh like yeah they, it's like, like wanted to remake society yeah, yeah yeah and they but they wanted to like they wanted to like start over with like a like a new kind of society mm-hmm. right well so so the outbreak was with the increasing unpopularity of the 31 year regime of mm-hmm. porfirio diaz which is called mm-hmm. the porfiriato which yeah. which i made sound vaguely italian um but uh basically it was so yeah so it's like 30 years of this guy's regime that people were not happy about um so there was kind of a motherfucker too yeah and so there's a lot of time for there to be a bunch of competing unhappy factions yep um so there was an agrarian insurrection um because a lot of like wealthy landowners were equally unhappy as um you know your average working class person um so this is where like pancho villa and stuff uh they come out a lot of these uh more famous kind of mexican military figures and zapata too right yes and zapata yeah um so who's a a confirmed hall of famer yeah hall total and not pancho villa zapata though so that's kind of the context um, and so Soldaderas would do everything from, like, just following the camps to being full-on combatants. Um, and so a number of women served as combatants, but how many is not known. Some women became combatants by first joining the army, passing as male, so pulling a Mulan, um, speaking in deep voices, wearing men's clothing, and wrapping their breasts tightly to hide them. The most obvious role they had as combatants was to fight against opponents in battles. That's a very interesting sentence that doesn't need to exist in this page. The most obvious role they had as combatants was to fight against opponents in battles. Um, talk hmm. page. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the fun part. Notable individuals. So I'm going to read uh, the first three notable individuals before moving over to the page of the fourth, who I've already read, Emilio Robles Avila. Avila, yes. So the first notable individual, Petra, or Pedro Herrera. One of the most famous female combatants was Petra Herrera. Herrera. At the beginning, she dressed as a man and took the given name of Pedro, joining the ranks of Villa's army. She kept her identity a secret until she had been acknowledged as a great soldier. 
Once she established her reputation, and this is in quotes, she let her hair grow, plating it into braids, and resuming her female identity. According to one of Villa's troops, Herrera was the person who should have been credited for the siege of the town of Torreón. However, Villa was not willing to have a female take credit as an important role in the battle, and therefore she was never given what she deserved. As a result of her lack... This is the best part. As a result of her lack of acknowledgement, she left Villa's troops and formed her own troop of all-female soldiers. Fuck yeah. She became an ally of Carranza and his army and became a legend for all females around the country. Wow. I love that. That's That rocks. Because at, mo- at the point where it was like she was not given the credit that she deserved, I was like, you know what? But we're remembering her. We're giving her the credit. And then the next sentence is like, she doesn't give a fuck about the credit we're giving her. She already she said, I don't need this when she was alive yeah. and made her own army. Um, so here's another one. Maria Quinteras de Meras was one of the most remarkable female combatants of the time. She joined Pancho Villa's army in 1910. Having fought in 10 battles from 1910 to 1913, she had risen to the rank of colonel and was a well-decorated soldier. She was so respected as a soldier, despite Villa's dislike of soldaderas, hence his not Hall of Fame status, that her husband, who served in the same army, was actually lower in rank than herself. Fuck yeah. Boom, 100 years ago. This is before uh, minorities could fight in the U.S. Army. Um, respect was enough for Maria. She did not allow v- she did not allow Via to pay her for fighting in his army. She gained this respect because she was an extremely gifted soldier. She was known to fight just as well as any male soldier, and was even thought to have supernatural powers. Whoa! Total like badass yeah. bruja. Yeah, that vibes. rocks. Yeah, so cool. Um, the third person. Angela or Angel Jimenez insisted on being known. Uh, uh, Angela Jimenez insisted on being known as Angel. From Oaxaca, she became, in quotes, an explosive expert and known for her courage in battle. According to one scholar, she refused sexual or sentimental links with the opposite sex, pledging to her comrades that she would shoot anyone who would try to seduce her. Wow. So wait, and so all three of those are um, are female. They uh, are, are women. Right? They are. They are actually women who identify as women who yeah. only pretended to be male to join the fighting forces in order to join. Got it. Yeah, and it seems like in all three of the situations, they did eventually serve. Um after having uh, outed themselves as women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the troops, there doesn't seem to be any thing that says the troops were, you know, responded negatively in a way. Aside from Pancho Villa himself. Except, yeah, besides for, yeah. Yeah. Little dick Pancho. Um, So Angela Jimenez has a pretty uh, Mulan-esque story. She originally joined the Revolutionary Forces, joining her father, in fighting the federal army because there had been a raid on her village by federal troops a federal officer was unsuccessful uh, a federal officer was unsuccessful though and her sister managed to kill him but then right after she took her own life jimenez 
then decided to join her father fighting against the federal army and disguised herself as a male. She fought for multiple rebel groups but ended up fighting with Carranza and then revealed her true identity. Even known as a woman, she rose to the position of lieutenant and earned the respect of the rest of the troops. She continued fighting against the federal army for years under her true identity as a female and was a true believer that having a revolution would be the start of having justice. Just some wonderful stories. Just, yeah, like, like, like really, yeah, really great, rich, rich stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so then we get to our main, the one person whose story is a little bit different from the other three. Emilio Robles Avila. Okay, Robles was born on November 3rd, 1889 in Xochipala, Guerrero to Casimero Robles and Josefa Avila. Casimero Robles was a wealthy farmer who owned 42 hectares of land in a small mezcal factory. Hmm. Robles had two older blah, 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 blah. Robles was three years old when her father died. And a few years later, Josefa married Jesus Martinez, one of the ranch workers who took care of the livestock. Very interesting. Mm, very interesting. Um, they raised the children Catholic. She studied until the fourth grade at a school for young ladies. From a young age, Robles showed an interest in activities that were considered masculine, learning to tame horses and handling weapons and becoming an excellent marksman and rider. Boom. Um... Robles joined the army in 1911 or 1912, perhaps when General Juan Andreu Almazan passed through Xochipala in 1911 as pressure mounted against Porfirio Diaz to resign as president. Okay, early days is what we're getting at. Yeah. Okay. Between August and November 1911, Robles was sent to Gulf of Mexico in a commission to order to, uh, in order to obtain money from oil companies for the revolutionary cause. Two years later... Robles began to dress as a man and demand to be treated as such. Hmm. Robles was not alone as a person assigned female presenting as male in the Mexican army at the time. This is where I go into Soldaderas. Um, from 1913 to 1918, Robles fought as El Coronel Robles with the Zapatistas under hmm. the command of Jesus Salgado um, and two other military leaders who don't have wiki pages. <laughs> um, Robles gained the respect of peers and superiors as a capable military leader and was eventually given his own command. 1919, sometime after Zapata was killed, Robles and 13, 315 men under his command joined the forces of Obregón and in 1920 fought with them, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, some military stuff. Uh, following the military phase of the revolution, Robles supported... Obregón, when the latter, uh, Obregón, when he was president of Mexico, 1920-1924, Robles fought with Obregón's forces to put down the 1923 rebellion of De La Huerta. But when Robles settled in Iguala for a time after the revolution, a group of men are said to have attacked him, wanting him to reveal his anatomy. He killed mm. two in self-defense. Whoa. Yeah. Is that the first is that the first moment in this like in the biography at least where there that became an issue? Yes. That's a so interesting. From what we know, yeah. From what we know. I mean I'm sure yeah. that there is more, but like I do it is interesting that like in wartime like yeah. your, your merit certainly like kind of starts to to show more than like any kind of 
Yeah, and there didn't seem to be any um, discussion about during wartime. Like, clearly the war ended before he ever had to, like, confront this. Yeah, no, I mean, but it then strikes there was, me. But I, I imagine people, people could tell. But it strikes me that, like, I don't know, to, to draw, like, a parallel with today, mm-hmm. um, like, it... It strikes me that that a culture is like pretty degraded mm-hmm. uh, when, like for example, when Trump tried to ban transgender people from the military. Mm-hmm. It's like how it like that is the sign of a degenerate to society mm. where you're you're so comfortable that you can turn people away from the the act of protecting like the mm-hmm. community it's like you you're you are you are capable of performing the duties mm-hmm. without vo- these volunteers like there is something deeply wrong with the setup if that is and you case. know and i imagine you know if, obviously like so much of trump's outlook in the world would probably have been different if he served a single day um right especially during Vietnam. Uh, but that's such a, that's, that's so interesting because I always talk about like the trajectory that it takes to get woke into the canon. And, you know, so much of it has to do with crossing class lines and like experiences and traveling and all that stuff. But I always maintain that like soldiers are just thrown into the uh, right. existential question so much more violently and quickly right. that, that there's a part of me that wants to believe that many of the troops knew and accepted, you know, right. unquestioningly. Yeah. Um, just like, just knowing that Robles was not born male, but wants to identify as male and is therefore male. And that's it, you know? So I really do want to believe that that's how it went down because there is there does seem to be an aspect of something like that being well. Uh, I I would say I think that there are there are not a ton, but there are certain through lines of um. I'm trying to be careful with how I say this, but like, so like the Zapatista movement, mm-hmm. right? And, and I equate it a lot to a lot of like the the revolutionary Kurd Kurdish movements, mm-hmm. where um, these are these are cultures who are living within like traumatic ecosystems mm-hmm. um, that I that I guess the developed world could could make the statement that they are like a part of like primitive cultures Mm -hmm. i don't know how well i like i don't think that that's right to say right but like but like the zapatista movement and like most of the political currents of kurdistan Mm -hmm. have like truly revolutionary ideas Mm -hmm. uh about not just about politics and about collectivism but Mm -hmm. also about like women about mm-hmm. transgender people, about all of these things. And and I wonder what, like, we obviously, we love to think of, like, the developed world and progressives in the developed world 
as on the cutting edge of like what can exist as humans like what can be mm-hmm. done what yeah. we can do and 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 stuff like like there are still towns mm-hmm. in uh morelos or oaxaca or wherever it is where the zapatista movement where like a true like anarcho-syndicalist society mm-hmm. has been existing for the past 30 years and nobody's touching them yeah similarly like quietly are, existing so to speak yeah yeah quietly existing similarly in kurdistan there are there are entire military units of women mm-hmm. in a in a revolutionary marxist framework for how they want to run their little section of the world we we love to gloss over these people we mm-hmm. love to to ignore them but like i have no problem thinking that that uh, Emilio joined uh, the Zapatista, the Zapatista, mm-hmm. you know, like our revolutionary faction during the Mexican Revolution. Nobody had any problem with it mm-hmm. because because progress, human progress, isn't linear. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's like chaotic and random. It is. It is. And like this group, th- these people, I think understood something bigger than Mm -hmm. than that's the constant battle between the forces of good and evil man like the forces of evil again not being some illuminati discernible group of people just like the entity the abstract entity of people who just don't get don't aren't 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 for the common good so to speak and you get these little yeah. moments where people are people are fighting back in their own ways, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah, but um, boom, 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 boom. Oh, this is this is one of the coolest last little bits about Robles. Um, yeah. Just want to clarify, according to historian Gabriela Cano Cano Ortega. Robles adopted a male identity not as a survival strategy, but because of a strong desire to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, some self-actualization shit. Robles's male identity was accepted by family, society, and the Mexican government. And Robles mm-hmm. lived as a man from the age of 24 until death. According to a former neighbor, if anyone called Robles a woman or doña, Robles would threaten them with a pistol. Hell yeah. Robles has therefore been described by historians as transgender. Robles met Angela Torres in Apipilulco in the 1930s, and they later married. They adopted a daughter together. Um, boom, boom. And yeah, there you go. And Robles died in 1984 wow. at the ripe old age of 90 fucking five years old as a man because he is a man fought in the fucking mexican revolution that rocks that rocks probably was the person that said to um to uh petra herrera was like yo you don't like punch how what poncho Villa's is doing i get it fucking form your own group of female soldiers yeah. you know do your own thing yeah like that's another movie. Talk about like the the intersections of 
these f- three women and Amelia, right. like, yeah, it rocks. Fucking oh, I was so. That's why I was so stoked when I texted you yesterday. I was like, yo, I have just like, ah, it's the it's kind of thing you good, read. Clean and you're just like you just like pump in the air. You're just like, yes, it's like yes. the free Willy scene. Like, yes, yes, it is. Ah, hell yeah, man. Boom, but that's ah oh, man. This episode was great. There's a lot of characters who we just introduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of characters into the universe. The simulator is full of friends right now. Yeah, big party in the simulator th- this month. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Stubby's just going yuck, 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 in the corner. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Just saluting, saluting uh, <laughs> Robles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Um you got anything anything else to add for this? You know this is our 20th episode. This episode Oh. 20. Is it really? Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. I think this is just the perfect way to end episode 20. It's just like a good, clean, old-fashioned app, smooth as fuck. Yep. Some some canon philosophical discussion, but nothing too in the weeds as it were. We're just adding different topics. Yeah, like yeah. You know, I feel like we're adding, yeah, slowly but surely adding the topics that all kind of go together. Exactly. And add on to, Every yeah. episode is a different puzzle piece in a different spot. Yeah. But there is some, there is some overarching universal truth to what we're talking about here. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, um, thank you all for listening. Um, yeah, thanks, folks. We, again, this is the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. If you would like to contact us, we have a Twitter. We have a email. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? We have a Twitter uh, and We have email. an Instagram. Yeah. Oh, we have an... Oh, right, I forgot. We had an Instagram. Hegelian, just look up Hegelian Friendship Simulator for all of them. Yeah, if you just search Hegelian Friendship Simulator yeah. uh, in any social media... They use, yeah. or uh, if you want to email us, Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. And let us know uh, what you think. And by, by that, I don't just mean tell us if you like it or not. Um, any little thought you have about any little tiny thing we've talked about, because especially because so much of what we discuss, even we understand that we're kind of hitting surface level of what could possibly be discussed about things. So we would love to hear any little random thought you had about some random thing yeah. you heard on we're this. just we're working through it we're piece by piece yeah we're truly trying to understand the universe that's the goal boom yeah. so if you we help you you help us let's yeah. do it yeah and now and and then eventually we'll see you in Sval, svalbard in long yeah. Yeah. at our hfs hof party yeah at the seed at the seed um that Rube right Waddell. outside of yeah. the, uh, the seed library yeah, Ruth Waddell's gonna try and burn down the whole thing. <laughs> We're just showing the puppy. Alright, folks. Love you. Thank guys. you. Love you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Alrighty. Adios. <laughs>